Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. This is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. I feel like we have made it past Heartbreak Hill and we are heading for the home stretch on the marathon that is the long, hot summer because the finish line of the no football portion of our calendar year is in sight. Not only that, KJ, as we say hello, good evening, welcome to the front row. It is uh, days away from football and uh, a little more than a week away from really good football and less than two weeks away from FSU football. Why did you refer to it as a marathon? Why is it not a steeplechase? Or fifteen hundred. That's just what came to mind. Three thousand. We can go with whatever you like. Are you in the Olympic frame of mind? Did you watch the Olympics? I did watch the Olympics. I love watching the the gymnast because obviously those are things that I could only do falling down a flight of stairs. True, probably for both of us. I watched the Olympics, enjoyed it. I did not watch the twenty four seven or the online stream or any of that stuff. Uh, and in fact, watch the primetime programming, which you'd never know that there's 112 Olympic sports. Because if you watch the primetime programming, you see gymnastics, swimming, and track and field, which is about all that I saw over the course of the Olympics. Well, you know that that where they they no, that's the Winter Olympics where they ski and then shoot a rifle. Yes, if you saw that the last couple of weeks during I, the coverage, then you really were hallucinating. I did not, but nobody, there, nobody, but there nobody, are some skeet shooting and some trap shooting events in the Summer Olympics. And nobody really cares about our thoughts on the Olympics at this point. It's in the rearview mirror for another four years, and then we'll get excited again. Michael Phelps will come out of retirement, and he'll win some more gold medals. And I just hope Usain I Bolt will do the I don't same. Hope, I hope I don't have to go to, a, to the bathroom by a service station with a security camera. Understand. We'll just leave that right there and... And move on. Football. I've heard of it. It's amazing. Each week we only do this. We sit down once a week. Last time we sat down and said, Sean McGuire's hurt. Let's talk about the quarterbacks. This week we get to sit down, and even though it's old news, and say, well, Malik Henry's unavailable. Let's talk about the quarterbacks, which are just about singular at this point because DeAndre Francois is uh, obviously the front runner, going to be the not the front runner. He's the starter. He is the guy. He's the guy. The bigger questions have been about what the future holds for Malik. I don't know that any of us can answer this at that point other than to say whatever his issues are, he's got a pretty short amount of time to rectify them if he wants to take advantage of the talent that he has, which appears to be significant. I think the best point that was made was actually made by Cameron, uh, Jeff, uh, last week, and that being, or actually Monday, rather. Thanks for qualifying which Cameron. Okay. Yeah. And that being... When you get into trouble this early in your career, that's that's a pretty big red flag. Because normally, I remember my freshman year, I'm walking on eggs. I'm 10 minutes early to every meeting. I, I'm doing exactly what I'm told. I'm not doing anything that even remotely looks like something bad, wrong, or otherwise. I mean, I am towing the line 100,000% if there is such an analogy. And to get into this kind of trouble of this significance this early in your career, uh, I think is a huge red red flag. Particularly for a quarterback. I mean, you can be the 12th defensive back who wasn't going to play anyway, and it's not so obvious if you're not at practice. Uh, and maybe people don't know, and you can get in trouble on those. But if you're the quarterback, and this is what, I mean, you have to be the leader. Exactly. And and Florida State uh, has had some really good quarterbacks, and they've also had some guys who've struggled in that role, quite frankly, over the years. But it would not bode well uh, based on this, but we'll see. Time will only tell, and obviously all of us, I think, would wish him well. Hopefully it's a learning experience and something that, that changes and and straightens him out or whatever word you want to phrase you want to uh, put to it Um, but I would tell you history and track record is not good let's talk a little bit about what this does for Florida State not in terms of the depth chart against Ole Miss which is where everybody went immediately I mean the reality is if DeAndre Francois gets hurt you'd be playing your at least third maybe fourth string quarterback depending on where Henry was or maybe McGuire's back so I don't I don't want to talk about that I want to talk about long because that's been dissected already and uh, I think the most likely scenario is that Francois doesn't get hurt. McGuire's back, if not then, which would be an elevated or a fast, uh, a quicker time frame than what we thought originally. He'll be back by Louisville when you need two quarterbacks, and you'll be fine. I'm curious from, from two standpoints. 
Because this happens every year, even when you have enough quarterbacks. And right now you've got three quarterbacks throwing passes. There's always a point in the year, sometimes in the preseason, where the quarterbacks get fatigued and they get tired arms. So you have to be really careful about managing that when you just have Francois. And point number two is you need a guy that's going to be the scout team quarterback. I mean, John Franklin was that guy leading up to Auburn. DeAndre Francois was that guy last year. Winston was that guy, his true freshman year. I'm not sure who that guy is right now if Malik Henry is out long-term. If he's not, if if this indefinite suspension, sorry, I just I moved my headset cord here and I, I might have lacerated KJ uh, right below the nose there, <laughs> giving you a close shave. Uh, if Malik is you know back in a couple weeks and I don't know what the time frame is, I don't know how long indefinite is, then maybe he's the guy. But I'm just I'm just making the suggestion is Jimbo, would you be looking for another quarterback? Not, And you'd have to find the right guy because any quarterback that would come in is going to want to come in and have a chance to play, which really narrows the list. But would you go get a guy, I don't know, he grew up an FSU fan and he's playing FCS football. And you know what? He'd be happy to be a scout team guy here if he got a scout. Would you get another, or do you just use the 12th string DB or somebody, uh, six string running back, somebody else to be the scout team quarterback this year? At this point, I don't think you can go get anybody because their ability to get them into school, given the fact that classes start Monday, I mean, there's probably some logistical non-football related reasons why that wouldn't work. And and I've always found we've talked about it in, in in times past. You you can take that DB that played some high school quarterback that's not going. You're, you're, he's redshirting and move him over to the offensive right. scout team, and he'll give you a good look just because of the athleticism. And that's all you're really looking for. You don't want that guy to be able to successfully pitch the ball. He just needs to get in the right position where the tailback's in the right position where it looks like he pitched the ball. I.e., if you're preparing for Georgia Tech. They don't have to actually execute it. They have to replicate it. And I think you can do that with anybody that has some reasonable athleticism. Uh, so, no. Long answer to your question, shortened up, no. You don't go get anybody else. So, And I don't see the, either of those areas as a concern, but just maybe more of a potential issue at some point than Francois going out in the third quarter against Ole Miss, which we could spend between now and Labor Day worrying about that. But well, what there's it, no way to know. What it does is if there are some quarterbacks that are part of the next signing class that had said to themselves, I'm not going to Florida State because Francois is there, Henry's there, whatever, you may open up the window to be able to go recruit somebody that you didn't have access to for next year. Well, that, they, that might happen. They've got two kids committed already there, and it would be tough to get more than two. You remember a couple of years ago, the, the class that Francois came in, they had DeAndre Francois and DeAndre Johnson who actually signed, but there was another kid who was committed right until the 11th hour, and I'm not a recruiting expert, so I don't remember if he went down to signing day days before or it might have been in January. I think his name was Kyle Oxy, but at one point they had three quarterbacks committed, which is crazy in today's landscape. They ended up signing two, and we all know what happened with DeAndre Johnson, so that's part of the reason why FSU is so thin right now. And, and forgive me, I, I don't follow recruiting, so I wouldn't be aware that they've got two under commitment, so... Uh, Right, but it it uh, no your no your point it, it is interesting the way this this had, the landscape has changed a little. Of course, the other thing that could affect that is if DeAndre Francois goes out and has the most incredible year you've ever seen, that might cause those folks to to think twice too. Who knows? All right, all conjecture, which is what we do on a weekly basis. But uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Dope Campbell Stadium and the uh, improvements, enhancements, and specifically the Champions Club. Last week we talked about. The video board with Jason Denner. This week, Jerry Kutz from Seminole Boosters is going to join us to uh, answer questions about that. I know you've heard a lot about the Champions Club, but I'm telling you, if you haven't set foot in the stadium yet to look, again, not just at the Champions Club, but all the stadium improvements, it is impressive. And uh, they're going right down to the wire with this Champions Club, but it will be ready. We'll have Jerry Kutz join us when we come back here on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back to the front row. We continue uh, on this uh, week's edition, and we'll talk more about Doe Campbell Stadium and all the uh, enhancements and renovations. Uh, as I mentioned, Jason Dennard joined us last week if you if you didn't listen to that interview go back and uh, find it 
via the archives uh, or, or iTunes if you subscribe to our podcast, and you can listen to him to discuss the actual square footage of the video board and the capabilities, the sound system, the enhanced restrooms, all that type stuff. Uh, so th- there is a great fan experience ahead at Doak, and we're going to continue that conversation as Jerry Kutz joins us. He's the Senior VP for Capital Campaigns and Projects with Seminole Boosters, uh, which to shorten that up right now means he's the chief worrier because he's been behind this whole Champions Club effort. And we're, you know, we're, we're T-minus a few weeks here, Jerry. So are, are you sleeping yet as we count down to that September 10th kickoff? Tom, you got a choice in life, either worry or your work. But you can't do both. <laughs> well, I choose to I choose to work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in all seriousness, though, I I know things are are on track for it. And I went through and took a tour last week with you. And uh, it it obviously is even more impressive when you see it firsthand compared to just the renderings and all that. So as somebody who's been uh, behind the scenes on this, and I don't even know how long it's been, at least three years, it might be five to seven years, I don't know. How does it uh, compare now? I mean, what, what, what resonates or sticks out to you that, that you couldn't have even imagined when you saw the first blueprints or, or renderings years ago? It's huge. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really big property. And until you actually get in, you stand here and look at it, it's, it's, it's actually bigger than I thought it would be. Uh, the other thing I was very surprised by was the detail attention to detail that the architects put into it. In most stadiums, in most club seat sections even, uh, don't have much detail. And in this project, the architects have just done a phenomenal job. Well, we were going to ask you about some of those uh, sort of specific to FSU traits, if you will. One of them uh, is, is the... Uh, the lighted spear, you know, there, there's spears that extend out from the top, and I'm not, I'm not sure if there's actually a light bulb in there or if they just reflect the lights that are sort of in the, uh, the rest of the, uh, the arrow there. But, but talk a little bit about that because they, they have the ability to not just be garnet and gold, but uh, you can make them whatever color you want if it's a private function outside of a game weekend. Well, let's be real clear. The spear points themselves are, they don't light up. The spear points don't. They're uh, diconic glass. And the spear points were designed by Florida State's Master Craftsman Studios. Mm-hmm. And uh, they don't light up, but uh, they'll reflect whatever light uh, they're exposed to. So at times they're blue, they're a blue or a garnet or a green or, you know, it's basically a prism. Um, now, what does light up are the, the spear shafts and the roof. So... It's really pretty impressive for those people who have seen it. Um, there's up lights that go up into the up into the canopy, and you, there's I think sixty four thousand combinations of red, green, blue. So we can light it up garnet and gold, or if a woman's having her wedding up there and her bridesmaid dresses are light blue, we can make it all light blue. Now, one more element that people have seen on when it's been tested is the the LED lights that run out on the spears are animated. And we've got some guy that's unbelievable that's doing this for us that is building presets. So when FSU scores a touchdown, those things will go crazy. And then uh, we can actually emulate some of the spirit spear, where when uh, our game day ops wants the crowd to get louder, um, those things can kind of track the crowd noise so that it'll start off garnet and then move farther up the spears as the crowd gets louder. And when they hit a certain volume, it sort of bursts into sparkles. And I mean, it's crazy what they can do with those lights. I think, Jerry, one of the other things that's, that's interesting, particularly if you take one of these tours or you look at the uh, stadium with nobody in it, is the seat pattern. I mean, there's yeah. there's, there's some design. You talk about the details. There's detail in, in the color of the seats and how they appear with nobody sitting in them. Yeah. Keith, I got to tell you, man, that one made me nauseous for a month. Oh, God, more than a month, that decision. Uh, the architects were pushing it on me, you know, this bold pattern in the seats. And 
uh, at one time we were trying to emulate, you know, the patchwork of a of the seminal jacket, and it, it we couldn't do it because it's that's too linear detail. So, at any rate, they came up with this pattern that architects did, and I fought them tooth and nail, and uh, they had to refine it about five different times, and I asked everybody I knew to give me their opinion. And finally, you know how things go, Keith, you know, when your wife won't be, does this dress look good on me? <laughs> yes, dear. Does this, is that, this tie go with this suit? You finally have to just trust the expert. Right. And, and boy, am I glad I did. It really looks sharp. Well, you finally le- you finally learned the uh, the number one key to being a good husband: do what you're told. <laughs> exactly. I mean, some that's I just want to brag on this design build team, Childers and uh, and these architects. It 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 they did a fa- fantastic job, and and all decisions always come down to trusting the experts. So, I think no other decision in that project did I labor over emotionally. Like I did that seat pattern. I think it looks cool. Hats off. It it is. uh, We just mentioned in the previous segment, Jerry, for those who haven't been into the stadium yet uh, or even down Pensacola Street to see. uh, Well, in that case, the back back of the big scoreboard. That would be the video board. But if you're coming from the other way along Gaines or whatever, just to see the elevator towers and the way that the view has changed from outside looking at the Champions Club. uh, It's really impressive. We're talking with Jerry Kutz from Seminole Booster specifically about the Champions Club. Jerry, I, as we mentioned, I know you've been working on this for a, a long time. Working, not worrying, uh, to uh, reiterate what you stated earlier. Um, where are you in, in terms of how many seats are sold? And, and you know, are you are you on track with what you want to be? What opportunities are still out there for folks? Yeah, we're, our goal is, you know, we talk to all the people that have club seat sections in college and pro, and they told us the first year, you'll sell 50% as season tickets and uh, the other 50% you'll sell in the second and third year because there's tire kickers. There's people that have to test drive it before they'll buy it. And that's exactly what we're, what our numbers are reflecting that we're, we're going to, I think we just surpassed the 50% mark and uh, we're anticipating being around 60% by kickoff, uh, and then we pulled another 500 three-game packages. So we're, we're, we're feeling really good about it. Now, there's still some good seats available. Uh, there's 5,900 seats in that project. So I have seats on the upper level under the cover, uh, which to me, that's where my wife picked her the, the seats she and my son will sit in. And then there's a uh, some a few seats still left on the uh, the uh, the lower level, uh, uh, um, and that are you know on an aisle or in a good location. Well, Jerry, obviously we want to talk about, and we'll get to that in just a minute. The the the, the tire weekend, not just the game experience, but the one thing that stands out at me, I'd like to comment on it. There's a lot of glass in this place. I mean, I I don't think you can ever miss a a, a play, regardless of whether you're sitting, walking, standing, or or somewhere in the back. Yeah, Keith. Uh, I think the one design mistake I did make that I got I, I got scared on. <laughs> I'm teasing about getting scared, but we just about put windows over the urinal so that you could literally see the field from anywhere you were in the club. And that's the one I regret that have been talked about forever. So, uh, you literally can see the field from everywhere except in the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hadn't heard that story. That's, that's a good tale, Jerry. Well, I mean, Hey, Keith, here's the thing that's unbelievable. There's, there's always that unexpected surprise, right? All of our focus was really on Bobby Bowden Field. You know, we wanted people to. We have six to seven hundred linear feet of glass looking out of the wall. I mean, at the, at the field. But I took a group of women from uh, the University Center Club up there one day to show them, and I'm talking, and I, I realize nobody's listening. They are all looking out the other window on the opposite side, 
of the club, which has the most spectacular views of campus, downtown Tallahassee, the, the capital. I mean, it's it's the, the views from up there are spectacular. Well, and as Tom mentioned, I, I'm for one think that standing at the what would that be the south end of uh, Langford Green and just looking at how uh, the unconquered statue is now silhouetted uh, with those uh, towers, those elevator towers. I mean, the whole outside look before you even get inside has been changed and is remarkable. Yeah, let me give credit. Let me give credit on that uh, to Brad Ennis from uh, Elliott Marshall Ennis, the architectural firm here in Tallahassee. Brad labored on the design Uh the detail he put into those towers is crazy. And uh, he wanted it to be a handshake to the community. Um, and you're exactly right. Framing the unconquered statue, creating a welcoming courtyard. I mean, as you fly into Tallahassee, you used to see Doak, and you still will, of course. But those towers at night, when they're lit, will look like, you know, lanterns uh, to the stadium. And it, and it really creates a handshake with the community as he intended. And some of the stats uh, I get enamored with, but those those elevators will move 140 people a minute. Did I read that correctly? 140 at a time. 140 and, at a time. Yeah, and they're high-speed elevators. And I said, how fast are they? Can we sell tickets during the week as a thrill ride? <laughs> But they're, when they say high speed, Monday they're gonna uh, they're gonna uh, go you know go through inspection and they'll be turned over to us. And I asked them if they could crank it up so see what kind of ride we can get out of it. But they are their high speed elevators. <laughs> Always and, uh, looking for that additional revenue. Hey, Jerry, and there's an opportunity around every corner. <laughs> A couple of things that uh, are really unique about this, and you spoke to some of the specific specific design elements, um, but also the fact that this is a, if you purchase a a club seat, my understanding is you get a Friday to Sunday membership there. But even beyond that, um, this, you know, a lot of club seat sections or zones and stadiums are pretty much used when there's a game, whether that's six, seven, eight, or 16 times a year, whereas this is a a facility that uh, you can use 365 days a year. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's important. Uh, Friday to Sunday, uh, when people arrive in Tallahassee, you know, sixty-five or better percent of our population travels to Tallahassee and uh, to to come to a game, and so we want to entertain them from Friday to Sunday. Um, so yes, I don't know of another club in the country, college or pro, that's open Friday to Sunday, and. Uh, you know, College Town, Phase 2 will open uh, right across the street from the Champions Club. And that's a that gives our fans coming into town a Friday to Sunday experience as well. Where can people get more info, Jerry? Uh, FSUClubSeats.com, FSUClubSeats.com, or they can call 644-1830, uh, line one. And I've got a team of representatives that will give people personal tours of the club and help them select a seat. Or you can just go by the stadium and find Jerry with his white hard hat walking around because that's where he lives. I'm not sure if you're living on the fourth floor or the sixth floor, Jerry, but I know you've been there. Congratulations on getting to this point. I know the finish line uh, is in sight, uh, and then the rave reviews will will continue, I guess. But congratulations on all the efforts. It's going to be exciting. The key is going to be operations, Tom. We're focused now not on sales but on making the game day experience perfect 180 televisions yeah yeah well and, <laughs> holy moly and, and as you know jerry uh no matter how much of a home run you hit on the operational side uh jimbo's got to hit a home run on the other side too to truly make it a great weekend experience for everybody so we'll talk to jimbo and put in a word for you there hey you guys excited about the start of the year very much so very much so Hey, hey, Keith, you used to be a high school quarterback. Do you got any eligibility left? I do have a year of eligibility left here. I was not redshirted my freshman year. I did not dress my freshman year. I did not play my freshman year. I have a year of eligibility left. However, I have cautioned people. I think I can make two, maybe three plays during the pregame. 
<laughs> After that, I'd be done. Well, get at, well, Atwell was the quarterback, too. Maybe we can get Scotty from the Alumni Association suited up. <laughs> if we have some more kids misbehaving, we may all have to go out there and be a collective effort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Hey, Jerry Kutz, thank you so much. Okay. Talk to you later. All righty. Jerry Kutz from Seminole Boosters. Uh, again, listen to last week's show and learn more about the enhancements uh, on the other side of the stadium, the video board and whatnot, but that's a pretty good look. And, and you, you truly have to – that's a good expression for it, the tire kickers. Well, and, and probably nobody, at least that I know of, that's involved with either the administration or the boosters is more innately equipped to oversee this than Jerry because he just doesn't get too excited. He doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low. And he is the most prodding, um, steadfast, uh, will not let go of something until it's done person that I've come along in a long, long time. I mean, he's like a, a, a bulldog when it comes to getting things done. It will be right before Jerry turns loose of it. No question about it. We appreciate him taking a few minutes from his schedule, which he literally is there probably 18 or 19 hours a day right now. We did, You know, one thing we didn't mention, tours are available. So he gave you those numbers there. They're individual tours if you're interested, and there's group tours going on on Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday if you want to take a look at the Champions Club. We will turn our attention onto the field when we continue as our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us, and we'll talk some Knowles football right after this. Stay with us on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. We welcome you back. It is time now for our Seminoles.com Insider Report. Seminoles.com, the only place to catch Jimbo Fisher's postgame press conference. On the live stream following home games, also his Monday press conference when he meets with the media and uh as part of going to Seminoles.com, you also get to enjoy the fine content provided by our Seminoles.com insider, one Tim Linnefeld, who joins us now. Hey, Tim. Hey, Tom. How's it going? Good, good. What, uh, speaking of your fine content on Seminoles.com, what, what is the uh, latest that you're working on? What's the on? story du jour yeah, today? Yeah, exactly. Or the last couple of days or weeks or what you got planned here? Well, we've had the last couple of days uh, right now on the, uh, the front page is a uh, feature story on Ryan Izzo, who, uh, in my opinion, is, is kind of a dark horse to have a really big year. Uh, the redshirt junior tight end who uh, you, you kind of look back. I, I look, when look back at Nick O'Leary's first two years in the program and then look at his third year in the program and look at the jump he made from year two to year three uh, and then seeing Ryan is, and I'm not trying to say Ryan is going to be Nick O'Leary, but as he enters his third year in the program and looking at some of the flashes he made uh, last year in his first year as a starter, uh, I, I think he could really be in, in for a big year. So get some of his thoughts on that and some teammates thoughts on him as well. So that's the first thing. Uh, my good friend Lane Hurd has a nice video feature on Josh Sweat and everything he's been through to, to get to this point. And then, of course, later on today we'll have full coverage from the, the scrimmage, uh, which I guess later on today will be uh, right now. So, uh, so there'll be some stuff from the from the scrimmage, the second scrimmage of fall camp, uh, and as we know, is always kind of a, an important one that second scrimmage. Well, and 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 just to clarify, we're recording this while the scrimmage is taking place, and so I know you mentioned that. Uh, from a receiver standpoint, Travis Rudolph was out there in an on-contact jersey. So is Nyquan Murray. It seems like Nyquan is, uh, you know, even though he's missed some time, is he the the biggest surprise maybe offensively or even a whole team in terms of fall performance? Gosh, I, I really think so. And, and you know, I'm prepared to sort of eat a little bit of crow on this. I think I came on this show last week and said that, that I was skeptical and, and wasn't sure where he would fit in in an otherwise deep receiving core. You know, he's not the most experienced and he's not – you know the most physically gifted he's a little bit smaller and maybe not as fast as some other guys but then we start sort of saw what came out of the scrimmage and, and hearing people who were from people who were there and talking to some of the players it sounded like he just had a monster scrimmage was making plays all over the field uh derwin james after the scrimmage even said hey he, he even made a play on me today which uh you know dbs especially one like derwin are, are loath to give receivers credit usually so uh the fact that they're all you know giving him his due for what he's been doing out there is a, a in my opinion a really good sign uh, it was unfortunate he he got the 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 brakes put on a little bit with uh, with the injury from last week. It's not like he's back out on the field. He is wearing a non contact jersey, which you know is, is pretty pretty ex- expected. I don't think that's a big deal or anything to, to read into. I think the the bigger development is that he's back out there and and you know participating in practice today, participating in scrimmage. 
one of the stories that's been talked about, and I know the Democrat has covered it, and we've discussed it a little bit here on this show, is is getting uh, Dalvin Cook ready and, and how much you, you allow contact, how much uh, do you allow him to be taken to the ground, how much do you work him. But one of the things we haven't talked about, Tim, is is arm fatigue. This is the time of uh, camp when, when unfortunately, you sometimes hear stories about you know quarterbacks having to be rested because of arm fatigue. Have we heard anything like that, particularly about DeAndre, uh, given where camp is right now? No, I haven't. Uh, and that's sort of one of those things that I, I probably would trust Jimbo Fisher on that. You know, he, does, he doesn't have the reputation for being maybe the best quarterbacks coach in college football for nothing. And, and look, the fact is they're not as deep as they were, but they still have enough quarterbacks to, to effectively practice. You know, they still have DeAndre, J.J. Cosentino, who, by the way, I think in watching – uh, and I know this may not be may not be what some people want to hear. I actually thought he's looked pretty good uh, in his stretches of practice. It's not like he can't can't throw. He can make some really nice throws. And physically speaking, I think he he's got what he needs to uh, from a from a height and weight standpoint. It's just a matter of putting it together when the lights are on. I uh, was sorry, just a little aside on JJ. And then uh, in Jake Rizzo, they have a, a walk on quarterback who was a starting quarterback at St. Thomas Aquinas High School down in Fort Lauderdale, one of the top high school programs in the country. And so. You know, he he is a walk-on. I'm not going to say that he's more than that, but it's it's not like he can't throw the ball. So between those three guys, I think they have enough that they don't have necessarily have to worry about that sort of thing. And, and you know, not that he's uh, he's back practicing, but uh, Bashan McGuire was actually out of practice. Uh, he was out there on Monday for a little bit, and he was out. He came out to uh, the scrimmage on Wednesday as well, and was throwing the ball a little bit on the sidelines. And uh, I'm no doctor, but if you didn't know that he had a foot injury and just had surgery last week, I don't know that you could tell just by looking at him. Well, and I, I, I've said publicly, and I may be an idiot. Uh, there have been those that have accused me of saying, but I still think McGuire is available for emergency use come Ole Miss, um, mer- emergency only. But I, I just think he would be available if he was really needed. You've, you've said that from the start, so we will give you full credit on that, KJ, when he's suited up uh, against Ole Miss. Hey, Tim, let me ask you this, because uh, fall is a time when uh, all the, you know, it's hard to know because practice is not open uh, to the media at all times, but you hear lots of great stories. Nyquan Murray is emerging. Josh Sweat is, you know, he's working on finishing, but big things are ahead. Brian Burns looks great, the freshman defensive end. Matthew Thomas is rejuvenated. You hear all these kinds of stories. Who out there has not lived up to that? I mean, is, is there anybody that's taken a step backward right now or, or somebody that we're disappointed about how their fall camp is going? That's a, that's a difficult question. I don't know. I'd have to think about that uh, a little bit. I, I wonder with uh, – and this is just me purely speculating. I wonder uh, on the offensive line if, if they're maybe not uh, disappointed individually but through some injuries and, and through some rotations. I wonder if they'd like to be a little more – uh, set than they are right now, and, and part of that has to do with with Alec Eberle. Uh He he was was hurt. He's actually back at practice today. I'm not sure exactly how much he participated, uh, but he was dressed out, which is a good sign. Uh, I think the fact that Rick Leonard was able to emerge, and then he seems, I think, full speed ahead to be potentially your starting right tackle. He's taken all the first team reps that I can see. Uh, probably means disappointing things if you're Brock Rubel or Derek Kelly, uh, players who are more experienced than Rick Leonard and, and have been on the offensive line longer. Uh, for somebody to come in and seemingly take control of that job, uh, you know, they probably don't feel too good about that. Is there any word at all about – let's talk about running backs behind Alvin Cook uh, because it seems like some reports have been good, particularly for the freshmen in there, but I haven't heard a lot about Patrick. Is he having a decent fall? From what I've seen him, you know, he's been really quiet, it seems like. Um, he's definitely out there, and he, he, you know, he looks like uh, you know, he, he participates in every drill and he's, he's a part of the, of the group and everything, but I think so much attention has been paid – more so, it seems like to Ryan Green and, and Amir Rasul, the freshman. Maybe I guess because we're sort of getting used to them. But yeah, he looks a little bit slimmer, I think, than uh, than he did a year ago, and, and maybe a little bit faster. Um, you know, when he's hitting the hole, that sort of thing. But yeah, it's, you're right. It hasn't been uh, as, as much talked about with him, and between Dalvin Cook and the new guys, uh, it's almost sort of easy to forget. And if somebody's asking me about him. I think it might have been been uh, Gene Deckerhoff was asking me about him earlier today, and I, and I think you know, for as much as is, I think Ryan Green especially has a role to play, which, which I'll, I'll admit I'm surprised because I wasn't expecting a whole heck of a lot out of a, a senior who has, has bounced back and forth between positions. But you know, he actually looks really good out there. But with all that said, uh, I think Jacques Patrick will have a role because I don't think that there's anybody else in that position that can do what he can do physically as far as you know, being the big back who can stick his nose down in the line of scrimmage and, and, and take some hits that you don't want Dalvin Cook to take uh, and still push the pile forward. And, and he's the only one. I think that meets that skill set. So, yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about him. I think he'll have a uh, he'll definitely have a part to play. 
one of the guys, Tim, that I think is going to be key to this defense uh, uh, in terms of making plays and getting people in the right places to make plays that's been held out a little bit is Nate Andrews. What's his What's his status right now? Uh, the same kind of thing I, I wonder with him. Uh, they have so many defensive backs, and we've seen a, a pretty deep rotation, uh, especially at that safety spot. A.J. Westbrook's a guy who's gotten way more time with the first-team defense than I expected he would. And part of that, I think, is Nate was dealing with a calf injury. But there were times when, when A.J. was running with the first team and, and Nate was running with the two. So I think there's going to be a, a, probably a pretty healthy rotation there. I do think that Nate's experience helps him out a lot. He's played in, the, in every game that Florida State has had since he arrived as a freshman in 2013. You, you, you mentioned the, the guy, sort of the quarterback of the defense, if you will, that gets everybody lined up and in position. Uh, he seems like he would be a, a natural choice to be that guy. But then, you know, you got to look back and, and you say between Derwin James, who you think has one safety spot locked down, Trey Marshall plays some safety, A.J. Westbrook's a guy they seem like they really like, obviously makes it in there somewhere. Uh, don't, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they rotated, especially that, that safety position opposite of Derwin James, if they rotated that a lot and there wasn't necessarily a, a full-time guy so much as a, a player back there that they used depending on different positions because at least through practice, uh, like I said, they, they've, they've kind of moved guys in and out of there a lot. Well, you're on record as to who's going to start opposite a white at the corner. Uh, a week later, are you still holding to that? Oh, gosh. I think so. But, man, it's really close. It's really close. I think both those guys are really impressive. And, and we were talking uh, today just watching the opening practice. If, if you stood Tavares McFadden and Matthew Thomas up uh, with their backs to you and, and they didn't have jerseys on or anything like that, I, I don't know. It would be hard to tell them apart. I mean, McFadden for a, uh, for a cornerback is just really, really big, really athletic. So I, I reserve the right to can – can I make my final final call a week from now? Regardless of how it works out, I think both those guys You can either make play. your final call or you can phone a friend, whatever works. <laughs> can I ask the audience? Is that you guys? <laughs> he, he wants uh, to make the final call a week from now, right after they released the depth chart for week one. I see how it hey, works there. Hey, you know, you, you can't blame me for uh, – yeah, Well, he's an insider. Right? He knows those deadlines. I, I do think you brought up – we'll let you go on this, but, uh, you know, you mentioned Matthew Thomas, and I read some comments earlier this week about I – mean, I guess maybe Jimbo said it after one of the practices is that he could play corner. This is a linebacker that could play corner. And then you've got Derwin James, who they use as a pass rusher. And now you just mentioned Tavares McFadden, who looks like Thomas, which means he could probably play linebacker. And I'm going a long way to say that versatility is one of those buzzwords that Jimbo likes, and it appears that this defense has that. Oh, gosh, uh, in, in spades. And I don't know that there's another defense in the country that's built quite the same way. Obviously, Alabama has a lot of talent, but I don't know that they, they, they build their, their structure the same way. I mean, Derwin James, like we said, is, is a safety, but really sort of only in name. They'll, they move him up to the line of scrimmage. They move him in the box. They have him rush off the edge. Uh, that kind of goes back, I think, to you know, what we saw in 2013 with the, uh, the defense that, uh, that sort of, you know, they had hybrid positions at linebacker, hybrid positions at cornerback. Uh, and guys that could just sort of do things, you know, cornerbacks that were half defensive backs and leaning that way. Uh, defensive ends that were half linebackers and could kind of swing back and forth. Uh, it just gives you so many options depending on the situation and the, and the personnel that, that the opposing offense throw at, throws at you. Uh, I mean, it's, just, it's really impressive, I think, and in, in, it's a testament to, and maybe we forget this sometimes, just how well Florida State has recruited not just good football players but athletes that can play you know, so many different positions and do so many different things well. Uh, it, it's, uh, it certainly is unique, I think. He is our Seminoles.com insider. You can find his work on Seminoles.com or by listening right here weekly to the front row. Tim, thanks. You got it, Tom. Thank you. Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com insider. We'll react to his comments when we continue on the front row. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. We welcome you back to the front row, one of the places around town that uh, literally has a front row view of uh, all the Champions Club uh, and Doe Campbell Stadium enhancements, improvements, expansion, whatever you want to term it, is uh, our good friends at Madison Social. Florida State's uh, football team still unbeaten in the Madso era. Keith, you and I may make our way there. I think it's next Thursday, September 1st. They'll have uh, a party for the uh, Tallahassee Seminole Club. I'm going to see if I can fit that into the Block family uh, calendar. And then I'll remind you once more that the Madso guys are teaming up to open up an Italian parlor right next door called Centrale. More on that that will be coming your way in coming weeks. But uh, 
I don't think it'll be open for the uh, home opener, maybe, but uh, they're targeting mid-September there. Well, and they've got a couple of other uh, venue things they're going to be doing throughout the year. Uh, they can do catering. They can do – well, they can do everything. I mean, I, I think they could come and field a football team and, and go 6-6 uh, six and six during the year if they needed to. Just 6-6? Six and six? I'm just saying. Okay. Uh, I mean, let, let's wait do, staff for let, gosh sakes. Let's, so we appreciate them being on board. <laughs> I got you. I got you. It depends what league we're talking about here, too. I mean, are we in the Big 12 where we let anybody in or we at least uh, entertain offers from anybody that plays football collegiately? Uh, how many did they have? 21 Yeah, something like that. Every school that's not in a Power 5 conference has applied to be in the Big 12, basically. Let's do uh, – we did rapid fire with Tim Linnefelt last week. Let's let's do a little bit of that right here, and uh, I get the easy part because I'm going to pose the question. What if I can't remember the names? You'll, you'll remember the names. Okay. We haven't uh, – you know, for all we do on this show, I feel like the last few weeks we've spent a lot of time, rightly so, talking about Doe Campbell and talking about things – uh, not associated with on the field, but we haven't done this on the field stuff in a while. So right now, offensively, what is your biggest concern for FSU going into the season? Uh, will the, uh, DeAndre stay healthy? I, I worry about a, a, a kick in the shin. I worry about landing on a collarbone. Uh, I, I just worry about him getting nicked up uh, and, and his health because he hasn't played. We, we don't know how he takes a hit. We don't know you know will he get down will he slide will he get out of bounds you know will he try to tackle a cornerback from Clemson after an interception uh like Ponder did uh we just don't know so so keeping him upright and healthy is my biggest concern going in do you buy Jimbo's off-stated point that quarterbacks actually get hurt more frequently standing in the pocket than running quarterbacks do I do not now, he's probably right, but I think all of us remember only – I mean, I remember when, uh, you know, again, Ponder making that tackle against that Clemson defensive back. Uh, I remember AJ or EJ getting hit uh, when he was sprinting one time uh, and, and basically quit running the rest of the year. Uh, that, that may be true, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Jimbo's wrong, but, but my fear is something outside of the pocket. To be fair, there is – a difference between pocket quarterback and running quarterback because Jimbo's not going to call 20 runs for his quarterback. Correct. Correct. He'll call a few and maybe there's some scrambles in there. So let's not suggest that they're running the, uh, the wishbone here with DeAndre Francois. Uh, defensively, what's your biggest concern? My biggest concern is them not playing together. You've got such great athletes, such great players in positions. But if you try to do too much or you try to make that big play and don't take care of your responsibility, in other words, if, if they don't get lined up right and just play good fundamental football, it doesn't matter how talented they are, they will not succeed. Because particularly on defense, you've got to have 11 people doing the same thing. You, you can get a Dalvin Cook and an offensive tackle miss a block, and he can make somebody miss and go 80. But if the corner doesn't line up right or doesn't take the first right step on that slant, then he's behind the safety before you can turn, and, and he's gone, the receiver. So 11 guys with supreme talent, great football players, but playing as a unit. And, and again, you won't know that until you see him out there the first three or four or five series. I'll answer my own questions here. These aren't – Give it to me. I'll answer. I'll answer. <laughs> Go ahead. Ask me what I think about the offense. What do you think about the offense, Tom? Well, no, the, my biggest concern, it's two areas that are, need improvement. The first one on offense is short yardage. Uh, it's not a particular group or player. I mean, you can say it's Dalvin in short yardage situations. It's the O-line. Having a quarterback with mobility maybe opens up your options. I do think that they'll solve that issue, but they have to be markedly better in short yardage than they were a year ago. Agreed. You going to ask the next question, or are you just going to look at me because I usually lead? Well, my next, my, how fearful are you of turnovers with the young quarterback? Uh, not overly concerned. I do think there'll be some. Uh, if the defense wasn't going to be as stout as what I think it's going to be, I'd have greater concern or more grave concern. What about defensive turnovers? I, I think this defense can be really good, so I think they will force turnovers. But the biggest area to me where the defense needs to get better is getting off the field on third down. I mean, even last year, they had third and 12 for the opponent a bunch. And somehow, Give up 13 miraculously, there's a first. You can't have it. I mean, if you want to step on their throat when it's third and 12, go ahead and step on their throat and uh, remove any hope that they have in the back of their mind and just let them know they're in for a long. So that to me, and I do think they'll be better there. I really think this defensive line is going to be very, very good. Well, you remember this time last year, we were talking about the defensive seven and saying they've got to get pressure on the quarterback and they've got to get sacks because in 2014, they didn't have any sacks. 
Well, obviously, they committed to working on that, and we saw great improvement 14 to 15. Mm -hmm. I'll echo your uh, prior comment about takeaways. That's the one thing that this defense needs to absolutely improve on, getting the ball from the opponent, giving your offense a short field, creating some some sudden change uh, on your side of the ball, and, and, and even pick sixes or picking up fumbles or whatever and scoring, defensive scoring. They did not do a good job with takeaways last year. I think that will be an area that this defense improves on in 2016. And another, I, I agree. Another area where when you look at it, I think Florida State laterally, defensive team speed, collective speed, pursuit is going to be better than it was. And, and, and I'm simply just looking at the linebackers, and you say Matthew Tom, uh, Matt Thomas, and Roderick Hoskins, as opposed to Terrence Smith and Reggie Northrup. I mean, you are faster at both positions. Think about how fast, and I'm not saying those guys are Telvin, but when Florida State had Telvin and LaMarcus Joyner on the field, they could run down anything. So now you're talking about fast linebackers and every DB, you could say it about any team, but there's some athletes in the second. Florida State can run. Very much so. I think one of the other things that might be interesting is is this defense's ability to react to hurry-up and fast-paced offense. Uh, in terms of substitution, in terms of getting set, getting signals in from the sideline. You know, uh, last year there were times uh, because of, of what the opponent's offense was doing that defensively you were superior, but you couldn't get lined up. You couldn't get the right people in and out. Uh, I think that aspect of administering or, or administration of the entire defense is, is, is improved as well. I do think, yeah, you could look at teams that run tempo and, and – point that out as a concern but I, I do think when you look at the last two bowl games it, it was augmented by circumstances against Oregon and that wasn't the greatest defense Florida State's had even they had a lot of talent the offense turned it over every four minutes in the second half so that problem just got it, it, it you know it spiraled out of control last year the quarterback situation Florida State's offense couldn't even get a first down for a quarter and a half and so the defense so I think those were sort of extenuating circumstances I'm not ready to hit the panic button on but I do think that when you face teams with tempo it is because that's why teams run it and it's a real challenge to try and execute against it okay some more uh rapid fire 2,000 yards over or under rushing yards for Dalvin Cook under leading receiver talking receptions for FSU this year Rudolph Touchdown passes for DeAndre Francois, north or south of 20? Uh, north. North of 20. Interceptions for DeAndre Francois, north or sa- turnovers, north or south of 10? North. Defensively. And, and remind our listeners, because we're old enough to, first two games started by Charlie, Charlie Ward. Ward. How many picks? Eight. One game started by Chris Winkie about five games into his career in Raleigh. How many picks? That was game two as a starter. Game two, okay. Six picks. So and fifty three messages on his voicemail about it, if my memory serves. <laughs> so it it can happen. Uh, it, it, Jameis Winston comes along about once every twenty five years. Everybody else is normal. Twelve or more sacks for Demarcus Walker. Uh, more. Team leader in interceptions. I'm going with Nate. I hope he gets back on the field. It'll be Nate or Trey. Okay. Uh, the field goal specialist will be Logan for all kicks. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else? Who else? Will we have a punt return touchdown this year? No. No. Will we have a kick return? In yes. Kermit's final year, he will yes. get one to the house. Okay, what else could we go on here? Which game concerns you the most? Uh, Louisville. I think I'm with you on that. I mean, Miami I, I, Miami also. Miami a, a little bit. Obviously Clemson. But, but I'm not worried about Clemson for one simple reason. Actually, two. You, you will play eight games, not five, like I tried to convince our listeners, what, three weeks ago when I was really confused. You'll have played seven games. You'll be in game eight. You know what you got. Jimbo will know what the strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, you, you, I mean, you'll be a veteran team by then, and you're at home. I mean, the home field advantage in those types of games. I mean, remember we were at Clemson. Oh, it's it's a when Winston was up there, and you got that crowd completely out of that game early, and and Florida State just dominated, and 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 you got to have that home field advantage. You can't allow the opponent to take that away from you, and if you do have it, it is a huge advantage. I'll remind our listeners as we go to break that Clemson has won at Doe Campbell Stadium once since FSU's been in the ACC which is a quarter century now. We'll come back and wrap up on the front row.
listening to The Front Row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at thefrontrow at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Just a couple minutes before we wrap up, the uh, the the one year Clemson has won here at Doak was 2006. We talked about that previously, so it's been 10 years. And and I did. Am I correct? I remember like a seventy-two to three thrashing. I don't know if it was that bad, but in the nineties, it was pretty wow. bad. Got a little closer in the Tommy Bowden years, and obviously uh, Dabo has has taken Clemson uh, probably to where they should have been, given what they have there and the, and the football culture and all that. I didn't answer the question I posed to you about the game that concerns me most. Uh, although I do agree, Louisville is a concern. I think FSU caught an edge with that being a twelve noon game. I also think the fact that a lot of guys on this team were at Louisville two years ago when FSU was down 21 nothing. that's not an overlook-them type game. Correct. Uh, now, Miami's not an overlook-them type game either, but uh, that atmosphere has been pretty raucous. They've changed that stadium, assuming we're in Miami, which right now Miami's still saying they're going to open at home against FAMU next week. Uh, that's going to be a night game. And I, I saw something, and I just looked it up. So the ticket prices for Miami games this year, to give you perspective on how Canes fans turn out for one game a year, you can get to the FAMU Miami game for eight bucks, FAU Miami for seven or eight bucks, North Carolina Miami for eleven, twelve bucks, Pittsburgh Miami eleven or twelve bucks, Duke but, Miami seven or eight. But Florida State Miami is looking at about one hundred and fifteen bucks right now, and this is just a just from the ticket brokers online. So I mean, they they will be all, and part of the reason is there's a lot of demand from FSU fans too correct. who fill that stadium. Correct. But uh, I do think that Florida State. I was talking about stepping on their throat earlier, and I know that's a rivalry game. Uh, Florida State has not only not stepped on Miami's throat the last couple of years, but they've had to pull some Houdini acts to to win at the end. And you can credit FSU for that, but they've given Kaya and Miami a little bit of hope. And so that game concerns me. Well, the upside, the upside is if that's the game where you stub your toe, it's not a double whammy, as Jimbo says. It's the coastal division, and you can still recover and, and win the ACC by beating Clemson. The, the greatest stat about the Miami series right now uh, if you listen to this station, you hear it in promos. You hear the, hear the promo, yeah. But the last Florida State quarterback to lose to the Miami Hurricanes in Miami is Chris Ricks. And his last birthday, he turned 35. <laughs> that's just unbelievable. I know. I know. It, and that's been a weird series. Miami's had success here. Florida State's had It's just one of those. It hasn't been a home team type series. We'll worry about Miami in October. We'll continue to worry about Ole Miss leading up to Labor Day night, and we will be back on Wednesday. I'll point out again, by the way, uh, because we did we did, did we let we let the cat out of the bag last week. Keith and I are going to do a Sunday uh, show, uh, sort of a first react to the uh, to the Saturday game. That's going to air at uh, nine in the morning and uh, seven o'clock at night on, on Sundays. Sundays. So uh, mark that down, and uh, you'll hear more about that in in coming days and weeks. Folks, have a great week. We'll talk to you again next week on the front row.